Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Haven Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is 106.5 FM, and you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. We're live streaming now, so if you go to that website and click on a button, you can listen to us from anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, on your smartphone, tablet, PC, and so on and so forth. Folks, got a great guest for you today. We've got Dr. Bill Hamilton, uh, uh, scholar, uh, journalist, uh, historian. Welcome, Dr. Hamilton. Good to hear you, K.A. Nice to be with you. So, folks, we're in the middle of uh, Black History Month of the year uh, twenty. 21. And so, um, very important uh, month. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Hamilton, uh, when you look at the year 2021 and look at some of the things we've been through, uh, of course, uh, in 2020, we had the, uh, 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 the massive protests all across the country against uh, police brutality and for justice for Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and others. Uh, you had a, 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 a political party that uh, doubled down on white supremacy, while at the same time, more and more young white people and, and white people of all ages stood beside blacks in the quest for justice for Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Then, in, uh, of course, we had the COVID crisis, and, of course, blacks dying at a much higher rate, uh, black and brown, uh, from the COVID. Uh, and then, of course, we had the election. And now we've got uh, uh, the first black uh, South Asian vice president. So we've got uh, 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 the country seems to be going in a couple different directions. And so what's what's your commentary on all of what is going on in, uh, 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 and, and is and, and related to uh, Black History Month and black folk? Well, thank you. First of all, please call me Bill. We're friends, K.A., and I'm just glad to be here on your show. Uh, one thing I will say, though, talk about, we've been here, Carter G. Woodson, of course, created black history awareness in lots of ways. But I also want to say that we've been referring over the years to 1619 as the beginning of our sojourn in this land. And I want to bring to your attention the fact that in five years... In 2026, it will be not 300 or 400, but 500 years as blacks were enslaved on this continent. On September 29th of, this, of 2026, it will be 500 years since Africans were brought into the Gulf Coast to be enslaved. So even before the country was founded, the misperception was things started in the English colonies in 1619 with African captivity. It began in 1526, I want to remind you. In five years, it would be 500 years since we were uh, began this sojourn, this journey, this land. So I want to, first of all, talk about the fact that Middle Passage Ceremonies and Port Marcus Project, of which I'm a board member, is trying to bring awareness across the board to many things, one of which is the establishment of our arrival in this in this land. And the organization, Middle Passion Ceremonies and Port Marcus Project, is trying to bring awareness of our culture going all the way back 
to the founding of this country and beyond in terms of our contributions to this society, our resistance to our oppression, and particularly in Louisville, I think we need to know that resistance has always been a part of our, of our struggle. It's not been a fait accompli that we were enslaved. It's always been something that brings about resistance. Um, you cannot enslave anybody and have them content with their lot. We certainly have not been. But despite that, we've made many contributions. You may know that the capital that was assaulted by right-wing extremists this past month was built by Africans. That the White House was built by Africans. That the infrastructure of this nation was constructed with black labor. One of the things that Lamont Collins, a local leader in terms of museum work, is concerned, points out that, along with Ricky, Professor Ricky Jones, points out that we were the jackhammers. We were the cranes. We were the dump trucks and lift mechanisms that made this country strong. Uh, not to mention the economic advantage of having forced labor build the infrastructure economically for this land. So there's many things about Carter G. Woodson's Institution of Black History that we need to keep in mind. And it's not just one month out of the year. For me, for you, for many others, this is a daily reminder of what we need to take pride in. Can you imagine having that kind of weight on you and still accomplish the things that we've accomplished? Okay, and you mentioned the political shift in the country with the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg of our resistance to the lot that we were assigned. And so I just want to say at the outset that we are celebrating our strength, our spirit, our capacity to survive and be strong. And my organization, NPCPNP Incorporated, is one of those mechanisms for reminding us of that fact. Uh, if I may say so, we have been a series of February lectures sponsored by our organization that features some fairly outstanding people. Most recently, we had Dr. Leonard Jeffries, whom you may recall, was one of the first Pan-Africanists to extend this study to uh, the nation's colleges and universities. Dr. Jeffries points out our African inheritance. Uh, for example, uh, the Statue of Liberty was originally designed to show uh, liberated slaves at her feet to this day are broken chains, which was the original French contribution to acknowledge our enslavement and actual liberation or liberation from those particular restraints. So many things I think that would be wise to keep in mind. So, for example, in February, we have... Each Monday, we have presented some expert, some speaker about our heritage. And those who are interested may go to our website, which is middlepassageproject.org. That's middlepassageproject, one word, dot org. Look over the past month of lectures that we established on each Monday. You can easily access those lectures by going to uh, YouTube and our Facebook praise, Facebook praise, excuse, excuse me, our Facebook praise in Middle Passage. Our organization has a Facebook praise page. You may want to check that out. 
just to review, we did a, uh, not in addition to Dr. Jeffries, we had other people speaking. For example, David Eltis talked about the transatlantic slave route. And the fact that we've now been able to categorize, enumerate the ships that carried us across the water. And as you may know, many people died during that voyage. I think two million people were, were taken from Africa of which a fraction arrived here. And so it wasn't just the United States, it was Brazil, South America, and much of the Western world. But that story is told by Dr. David Eltis in our February 1st presentation. The February 15th presentation, if I may say so, involved, uh, let me get the screen working here, uh, involved, uh, of course, Dr. Jeffries was last week, the prior week was uh, a gentleman named Dr. Obi from Texas Prairie View University who talked about the musical heritage in terms of outlining our contribution just in terms of our expression of music. He delineates everything from the call and response habits that we picked up expressed in our church liturgy that were inherited from our, our ancestors in Kenya. He talks about the fact that all the way from the soprano Catherine Kathleen Battles, the little Richard picked up on these particular important ancestral roots. So there are many things about Black History Month that require not just one month or one particular day, but a lifetime of study will reveal these treasures that we and our children ought to take, ought to be mindful of. Um, I also want to say that you know, the Middle Passage Project tries to establish not just our oppression, but our strength and resistance against oppression. So when we have BLM in Louisville, that's a part of an ongoing legacy of resistance to um, all kinds of things, to the violence, to the political marginalization, to the economic deprivation of our being here despite our strength and determination. So. I'm not sure we'd like to take this. You mentioned that we have current issues to face. One of those might be the pandemic that we're currently experiencing. Fact of the matter is that we do know that Tuskegee experience makes us wary of government-sponsored medical intervention. Um, and in fact, what I will say also is that Native people in this country are also equally wary of that procedure. And in fact, you're right, K.A., the biggest uh, hit against us has been our black and brown brothers and sisters and native people that we also know about who have had to endure this kind of marginalization and, in fact, medical discrimination. So there's so many things that you uh, have mentioned. Please tell me what you'd like me to comment about as far as the Middle Passage is concerned. Well, uh how are we doing at actually educating school kids about their history? Uh, of course, in college, one can have more of a choice. I mean, if you want to take Pan-African studies, you can, but if you don't want to, uh, uh, you know, you don't have to. Uh, so it's a different situation. Uh, but as far as... Uh, K through 12, how do you think we're doing? We're not 
not doing particularly well. I can recall when I was in grade school or high school, when it came to literature, which is my specialty academically, we talked about Langston Hughes and maybe Zora Neale Hurst, maybe Claude McKay. But there's a rich legacy of expression about our life condition in this country that is, I think, worth examining that we've not done a good job with at all. Um, in fact, on Monday coming, there's going to be a lecture by a sister, a woman, a professor uh, of uh, history and literature whose name is Dr. Uh, let me get this correct because I've not met her personally, but she's presenting something about the idea of, uh, of the expression of our experience in literature. So on Monday at 2 p.m. there's going to be a live uh, broadcast of her ex expression of the literature that we need to know more about. Um, and so she's going to talk about the parallel between our history and our expression in literature. That will be Monday at 2 p.m. Anybody interested can log on and register at our website, which is uh, which is uh, middlepassageproject.org, and go from there to our Facebook page. But you're correct. We've not done a good job of, of t telling our children and grandchildren about our history in this country. And in fact, in terms of our resilience, our resistance to oppression, so, no, we've not done a good job. I, I do think, though, that it's incumbent upon all of us, as parents, as teachers, as professionals, wherever we are, to put down that bucket and bring up the knowledge of who we are and what we have done. So that really is partly our responsibility as families, but we need to bring pressure to bear on the institutions and the school systems, whether it's... Um, JCPS or other organizations, other institutions. We need to make our desires known to learn more about our history. And I think for years we've been told that we had no history. That's one of the things about the Middle Passage Project that we're trying to combat. In bringing these things to light, the Middle Passage Project see, seeks to rather understand and explain and broadcast our tremendous resources and advocacy for ourselves. So that is something that I think you bring up as a very important thing. And you also mentioned that young people, I mean, just as we had in the civil rights movement itself, the participation of a fraction of the white population, this year is much more broad broadcast, much more widespread. We have had uh, European Americans, and Asian Americans, other hyphenated Americans join us in protesting the death of Breonna Taylor or George Floyd and others. The seems never to stop, does it? Since we are always the targets of police brutality, of marginalization, of oppression. And so I think it's up to us to resist, lead the charge, bring along those like-minded people with us to join us in the struggle. So also, uh, I, it does irk me sometimes when I hear people say, uh, well, uh, sometimes you, even black folks say, uh, uh, we need to do more entrepreneurship. What's fascinating to me that even coming out of slavery, m many blacks were entrepreneurial. They had businesses, they had farms coming out of slavery, and as soon as they built up something uh, to where it was successful, uh, 
uh, nine times out of ten or 9.9 times out of ten, uh, they were physically assaulted and whatever they achieved was taken from them. Uh, exactly. So wow. it's not that blacks haven't been entrepreneurial. Blacks have been entrepreneurial. Exactly, exactly. I think the most striking example is the situation in Tulsa in 1919 when troops coming back from World War One who were reluctantly recruited by, actually encouraged by Dr. W.B. Du Bois to be part of that movement. We've been in every war America's had. Coming back from World War One, guys armed with Springfield rifles were feared. And for that reason, Tulsa burned. The black business district of Tulsa, Oklahoma was burned to the ground. Hundreds of people died out of the jealousy and revenge of whites who were also marginalized but could not tolerate black success. And despite all those things, we have done entrepreneurial things throughout history. Going all the way back beyond, in fact, Tulsa in 1919, but to earlier times. Uh, Frederick Douglass, you may know, was an entrepreneur in his own way. He was able to buy his freedom. And that's not a transaction, entrepreneurially speaking. I don't know what is. To buy your own freedom is a remarkable thing. And so that's not just Frederick Douglass' experience. Many other people bought their freedom, worked to liberate themselves. So you can't, any idea, his irony to me is that we're accused of being lazy. How can we be lazy when we built the country? That's what I want to know. I want to know how, how the dickens can we be described as lazy people when our labor put this country together? Exactly, when we were brought over here just to work. Exactly. And I think despite the things that we've been faced with, we are still we are still thriving. I like that line from Langston Hughes, which says, I've been locked up, locked out, caught short with the rent, caught with the wrong woman, but I'm still here. We have been in, we have been indefatigable in asserting ourselves. I like to look at it that way. And despite whatever has been dealt to us, we have come back as strong as ever. And it may seem short-sighted to look at our situation as... We have been crushed. We've not been crushed. We have thrived in a lot of ways despite everything else. Well, I think that our, uh, our striving for excellence in every field uh, uh, could be somewhat frightening to, to people because black folks just keep excelling, keep demanding the right to educate themselves, creating a, literally creating a way when there's no way uh, uh, and I, I, I was watching uh, the other night, watching, uh, I was watching Hip Hop Uncovered, and uh, it's just amazing to me that so many blacks from uh, uh, what you might call the wrong side of the tracks uh, used uh, hip hop music not only to create a dynamic art form, but also actually to create wealth for themselves and their families, uh, usually without benefit of a, of a college degree or sometimes even a high school diploma. So. Uh, Amazing, just fascinating, uh, and it's just it's it's not a unusual story for uh, African Americans to have done that sort of thing. And talking about in the arts community, of course, there was a a, a, a black movie industry uh, that that was more or less forgotten about until it was rediscovered that existed be before the the sixties and seventies. Uh, Oscar Michaud going all the way back. And so uh, a lot of our achievements have been forgotten. 
Exactly. I want to point out one thing that I think everybody's aware of, but that pleased me mightily this past year during the lockdown, the COVID lockdown, and that is the participation of black athletes in all of this. Many of us follow sports. Some of us dismiss the importance of sport. But sport has been America's recreational language. And um, I'm looking at Draymond Green from last week. When he talks about the resistance or the position of black athletes to resist the dictates of corporate sports. And the fact is that in a lot of ways, I look at it as kind of a civilized um, incarceration or slavery. Because an athlete does not have total control of his, of his well-being. And many people do not like LeBron James. But I'm crazy about LeBron James. Because he was one of the first to assert his independence as an entrepreneur. In fact, when he went from Cleveland to Miami. Now, Draymond Green's talking about the habit of owners to control the, and that might well say buying and selling of athletic prowess. I was very pleased that both the, make, the, the men and the women, NBA and WNBA, insisted upon touting Black Lives Matter during the last season. They painted the court with the idea of Black Lives Matter. Many people stood up and had not just themselves, but white athletes put slogans on their uniforms, um, Black Lives Matter, etc. And I think that one of the things that we can look at as success is tremendous achievement of black athletes across the board in every sport. Just yesterday, an Afro-Asian woman, Naomi Osaka, won the women's category of the Australian Tennis Open. And she was very adamant, outspoken about her allegiance to Black Lives Matter, even though she is a citizen of Japan. But she's an Afro-Asian citizen of Japan. So I think one of the things that our youth can see is that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can make excellence your stock and trade. You can actually negotiate your position in society between the things you are doing and what you are achieving. So I'm glad to see Black Lives Matter extend to almost every area of black of American life, at least in this country. So just mentioning sports, uh, you're talking about LeBron James in recent history. What he did, he decided that he was going to Miami and he was going to recruit other athletes to go to Miami and they were going to get a championship in Miami. And exactly. so that was... And, and LeBron, of course, never went to college. So you have a black athlete who uh, didn't go to college, but he's he's just holding these uh, discussions with other athletes, other top athletes saying, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And this is uh, uh, fantastic. Uh, and then it works. I mean, he, he says, we're going to, you know, the three of us are going to go to Miami and, uh, and we're going to get a championship. And exactly. and sure exactly. enough, they get one. Exactly. And then wherever he goes, he gets a championship. So uh, <laughs> so he, yeah. he he takes his he takes his personal excellence, and then he develops leadership ability to go along with it, and communication skills and creativity to go along with his personal excellence. Uh, exactly. Uh, exactly. And uh, and uh, then it becomes you know 
someone mighty to behold. So, uh, uh, yes, very impressive. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I'm excited about it because I look at LeBron as an example of what you do to return to your community. So what did he do? Set up an academy for children in Cleveland, where he is the hometown hero, shall we say. No different than Muhammad Ali did in Louisville, Kentucky. That museum on the border, 6th and River Road, that is, I think, one of the examples of what you could do with your influence. Muhammad Ali is known throughout the world. I recall when he was training in Zaire. Kids were all outside during training. I'm Muhammad Ali, Boom Ali. And it was one of those things I think that strikes us as some folks think it's trivial. To me, it's not trivial. Jackie Robinson was not trivial. Arthur Ashe was not trivial. Wilma Rudolph and Althea Gibbons were not trivial. These were representatives of our community and excellence that we could achieve. And in fact, if you know anything about Thomas Jefferson, he declared that blacks were not just mentally inferior, but physically inferior. Even though he exploited their labor on his plantation, he declared they're physically unfit while he also fathered children by one of his slaves. So it seems to me that there's an entire contradiction that our education system needs to address. We need to teach our kids the pride of being achievers, about being black achievers. And so that reminds me of all the efforts anybody makes to bring somebody with um, each one, get one, bring one. It's the whole idea of wherever you are, you can encourage somebody else. I think that's what we need to be about. So you ask about the education system, it begins at home, extends to the community. Also, another thing that irks me is when I hear even some blacks attribute the excellence of blacks in athletics to, well, it's just natural. No, it's hard work. That is, if you listen to Kyrie Irving speak, he'll say that there's nothing you see him do on the court that he hasn't practiced over and over and over again. So if you look at Kyrie Irving's perfect hands around the basket, well, one, he can do a layup with both hands and not miss. He can do a reverse layup with both hands and not miss. Uh, 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 he can do his layup from under the basket or in front of the basket. So uh, uh, so he's got that. That comes from practice. Uh, uh, practice, practice. Nothing natural about it. Somebody, Kyrie Irving, who's really not that tall and not that strong, but still... He can shoot threes. He can shoot mid-range jumpers, jump hook. He's got that too. Uh, everything practice. So it's yes, so he practice. Go ahead, brother. Hard work. I think it's important to point to our youth as a metaphor. We do know that Michael Jordan did not make the team when he first tried out. So what did he do? He went back to the woodshed. And he practiced, like you say, and practiced and practiced to become one of the greatest athletes of all time. He's still regarded as the standard of excellence in basketball. And Kyrie is just one of the latest, not the greatest, but one of the latest um, of, of that sport. It's true across the board. So if you can use sport as a metaphor, which I do, and look at it as an attempt to go beyond. Blacks have always gone beyond. The irony sometimes is that even when we do, we are not respected for it. Dr. Charles Drew comes to mind as an example of 
not being able to reap the rewards of your effort. Most people know that Dr. Charles Drew invented or, or a procedure to separate the blood plasma that made it possible for transfusions during World War II. Yet, he died needing a blood transfusion because he was not allowed entry into that hospital. So I think that we take these lessons to heart. Black History Month is an occasion to remind ourselves of our practice of our greatness despite obstacles. I'll say that freely, that we've done mighty great things despite everything else. Well, brother, uh, I do want to thank uh, you for being here with us. Folks, we've been with Dr. Bill Hamilton, uh, 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 historian, uh, author, uh, writer, speaker. Thank you so much, Dr. Hamilton, for being here with us. Thank you very much, Brother K.A. Don't forget tomorrow's lecture on middlepassageproject.org. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.